We would like to welcome you to today's sermon delivered by Pastor Stuart Guthrie. We hope that it challenges, strengthens, and encourages your walk in the Lord. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we um, just started through uh, a series on the book of 1 Peter. And so this week is our first, our second sermon, and that last week was our introduction. Uh, last week, we began 1 Peter by looking at the first few verses. We saw a few different things. First, we saw the description of Peter. Uh, though he had failed a lot in his life, we saw that God still used him in mighty ways for his glory and for his honor. Secondly, we saw the description of his readers and the fact that these people were called aliens and strangers in the land because this was not their home, just like us today This is not our homes. And then thirdly, we saw the description of God's work and how God in His sovereign will elected the chosen for salvation based upon His foreknowledge. Um, What a great opportunity we had last week to see all of those items. And that was really the introduction to the book of 1 Peter. Now as we continue in that study, I want us to, to look again at the outline that I gave you last week. Um, and, and I've added to that as well. But uh, the outline begins with the salutation. Um, it begins with the Christian salvation. Then we fall into the Christian's relationships, the Christian's suffering and service, and then cr- the Christian's discipline. And then finally we end in chapter 5 with the conclusion of the book. And today we've installed those three little dots there. Uh, the beginning of the Christian salvation as, as Peter begins with the prayer of thanksgiving. And so today, that's what we'll be looking at as we've added to this. Peter has given us the introduction to the letter, the who uh, is and to whom he is writing to. And now Peter begins and takes us right into a prayer of thanksgiving for those in which he is writing about. So if you will, let's turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. We'll be looking at verses 3 to 5. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What a blessing sermon. As I read over that this week, and as I began to ponder on that, it it welled up in me an ability to give thanks this week. You know, it's really important to be thankful. And I think many times in our culture, it's really easy to not be thankful to forget of all of the blessings and things that God has given to us and done for us and brought us through and sometimes, listen, even allows us to go through. Sometimes we we place thanksgiving with good things like good health and, and money and prosperity. But when Scripture tells us to be thankful in all things, wouldn't that also include those things that we may not want to really welcome? Because we worship a powerful God that even in the midst of ugly can do amazing things for His glory. And so let's not be confused that when it says give thanks in all things that we forget to do that in all things. So when you come this morning, um, 
I want to ask you, did you come with a thankful heart? A spirit of gratitude? Or have you come bringing all this week's pressures and burdens and all of this with you? It's really easy to do. And my hope is that if you did come that way today, that you'll be reminded that you can leave thankful. Because God has given us so much to be thankful for. Here's a poem that I came up with that I thought fit well. Um, The more I read it, the more it impacts my spirit. Because it's so true. It says, I've never made a fortune, and I'll never make one now, but it really doesn't matter because I'm happy anyhow. As I go along my journey, I'm reaping better than I've sowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. I don't have a lot of riches and sometimes the going's tough. But with family and friends to love, I think I'm rich enough. I thank God for the blessings, the mercy that he's bestowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. He gives me strength and courage when the way grows steep and rough. I'm not asking for other blessings because I'm already blessed enough. May we never be too busy to help bear another's load. Then we will all be drinking from the saucer when our cup has overflowed. Great little poem. The question I want to ask you this morning, are we people of this poem? Because as I look around this room, I see a lot of very blessed people. And we are all drinking from the saucer because our cup has overflowed. Let us not lose sight of how blessed we are as we come today. I hope that you too can experience the blessing, the thankfulness, as we as brothers and sisters in Christ experience on a daily basis. I hope you will because those that are in Christ, our cup consistently overflows with joy and blessings. So as we look about giving thanks, Peter is going to really show us several different areas in which we as Christians have to be thankful for. And so three I want to draw from our text this morning in case we've forgotten how that works. First, I want us to see we are thankful for a living hope. Secondly, we're thankful for a secure inheritance. And thirdly, we are thankful for a protected salvation. Let's get right into it this morning. Number one, we are thankful for a living hope. What in the world does that mean? And why should I be thankful? Why should you be thankful in light of all that's taking place in our lives and the difficulties we endure and the struggles that we face in the culture that we live in and the country that is deteriorating? Why in the world should we give thanks? And I submit to you this morning, we can be thankful because of a living hope. 1 Peter 1.3 reads, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Throughout the book of 1 Peter, Peter will consistently be encouraging his readers to continue their hope 
in Jesus Christ, to continue having a living faith, one that is active, not one that is stagnant and dead, but one that is alive. And here he starts out with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This really seems, as I studied, to be the most literal way to translate this, but the NIV, the NIV translates it as, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, what is the difference? Well, the reason I'm telling you this is because this was a very normal characteristic of a Jewish prayer. The, uh, the phrase, blessed be, was stated, and then it was usually followed by the name of God, then whom the thanksgiving would be talking about, and then ultimately what person was to be thankful for. And so here, Peter states the name of God, but he also says, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because I believe that he's connecting to these people that they cannot think of God and not also think of Jesus Christ when he's talking about it. And so the name, we see the name of God and the God to whom we are to be thankful for. And then we see the rest of it, as he says, according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are thankful for a living hope. And that's what we are to be thankful for. Listen, God in His mercy, His great mercy, it says, has caused us to be born again. That's extremely important. Know that Jesus taught that to Nicodemus, that the necessary act of regeneration, one had to be born again, and that only can be brought about by the great mercy of God. It's not your measure, but rather His mercy in which that takes place. He says here that we are born again to a living hope, and that living hope is through What does it say? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, as we sang this morning, I I, I thought in my mind, this song hinges everything we believe in the Christian life. This one song, this one truth, everything we believe hinges upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there is no resurrected Jesus from the dead, then you and I are to be most pitied. There are many that want to capulate on this and try to point to the fact that Jesus never died, but the reality is that's not the case. We know that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Because of that, we have a living hope, not a dying hope. Rather, unbelievers, those that are not in Christ, those that have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, they have a dying hope. You know, as I was being uh, mocked and criticized on Facebook about posting some things from a friend of mine that I grew up with that's an agnostic, he loves to poke at some of these things. But you know, I have to sit back and internally weep because he has no hope. He has no hope. We walk around weekly 
among people who have no hope. But we have so much to be thankful for, so much to have joy about because we have been given a living hope from a resurrected Christ. A living hope is a hope that is never failing. Certain, it's grounded in God, Himself and the promises of God. We have a new life in Jesus, and that is hope. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. It's the, it's the scripture I have listed on my business cards for my landscaping business. It's such a great reminder. We have a living hope that founded in Christ. John 6, 47 says this, I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. And that is why our hope is not dead, because our Savior is alive and He has risen. And we're going to celebrate that on April 1st. And it won't be an April Fool's Day message. It will be an Easter message because Christ has risen indeed. Look, they put Him on a cross. They nailed Him up there to it. They pierced Him and they left Him for dead. And that's why, if you remember, they didn't even break the bones of Jesus because He was already dead. No reason to agonize a dead man, right? Listen, it's important that Jesus Christ died. And that's why there is such an important message when talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And Peter wants to express that. Our living hope is based upon a resurrected Christ from the dead. Now, there are other false religions and false teachings that want to teach baptism saves and works are a part of salvation, but the reality is... is Uh, That's not the truth. And they want to say that Jesus never really died. Islam teaches this, that Christ didn't die. Listen, if you break the foundations of the doctrine of the resurrection, then what do we have to stand on? None. That's why they try to chip away at it. But the reality is there was a lot of witnesses to a resurrected Christ. Enough so that if there were that many witnesses for you, murdering somebody, you would be in prison, no doubt. Serving a life sentence. The problem is if Jesus really rises from the dead for them, they're in big trouble. And so they want to discredit it. But we worship a God that's all-knowing and omniscient, all-powerful, and he can prepare and, and line up people to protect the truth and the validity of Scripture. And so he placed those soldiers there. And their life was at risk if something would have happened because remember what he said, if, if he's raised from the dead, then boy, we're in trouble because the, there would be a bigger problem this time. The message that Peter's preaching in 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 and the 1 Peter 3.21. And Paul was preaching this in 1 Corinthians 15.20 and in Acts chapter 26 when he was given his defense to King Agrippa. The resurrection has consistently been defended. And Paul says to King Agrippa, why does it seem so incredible to you that God can raise the dead? Because the resurrected Jesus is important. Paul was fighting for the fact that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead in Acts, and so here is Peter. It's a foundational truth for the Christian. It's a doctrine that should be bringing us to a place of thanksgiving. And that's what it does just right here for Peter. 
Oh, they tried to kill him. They tried to finish him, but the grave couldn't hold him because Jesus Christ is our living hope. Is Christ your living hope today? Is that what we come and we can give thanks for today is that Jesus Christ is, is our living hope? It doesn't matter what your week looked like. I mean, it matters. I care about your week. But I guess what I'm saying is, is it doesn't matter if you've had a bad week. It doesn't matter if you failed all week. If, if you've been living in sin, listen, what matters is today in responding to the fact that Christ has given you hope. He's given you mercy. He's given you grace. He's given you another day, another breath in which you can repent and believe the gospel and be saved or repent and believe as it says in 1 John 1, 9 and confess your sins and he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What Brian preached on last week, the process of sanctification. Peter wants us to understand we have a living hope. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ is alive, and we have a living hope that can only come through Jesus Christ. And for that, Peter wants us to understand we can give thanks. We can give thanks. So we are thankful for a living hope first, but secondly, we are thankful for a secure inheritance. You know, when I left my job many years ago, well, I say many years ago, it wasn't that long ago, but I remember... I felt pretty secure because I had a good 401k that would get us through, but soon found it out that my security in my 401k was bogus because I had evidently not as much as what I thought I had. As a matter of fact, I didn't have much at all. And we were kind of left down the dry, not really sure how we were going to make it, and God showed up. He showed up in our time of need. Listen, I don't know what it is that you trust in for your security. But in that time period, I had a trust in something that was faulty. As something that wasn't uh, very valuable as much as I thought it was. We may be living in hard times. You may be coming today living with difficult circumstances, struggling in pain, maybe even suffering doing all you can to simply get by and maybe even suffering for the sake of Christ. But I want you to understand that the Bible teaches and Peter wants us to understand that in Christ you have a secure inheritance. And for that we can all be thankful for. And so we're told, blessed be God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And for the purpose, and for that purpose is this, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you. First off, what is an inheritance? Well, it's a valuable possession that you that has been received. Um, I I know someone that was trying to sell their house some time ago and someone decided they would wanted to purchase this house, but there was one problem. The people that were wanting to buy the house needed to wait so that their inheritance could come through so that they could afford to buy it. Listen, our hope, our inheritance is in a living Jesus, but it comes from a dying Jesus. 
Hebrews states it well in Hebrews nine fifteen to 17. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption and transgression of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those that have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of a necessity be the death of the one who made it, for the covenant is only valid when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Our inheritance is secure in Christ. You know, I remember several months ago, my uncle passed away. He had a half a million dollar estate. And he told me the day before he died, if anything happens to me, Stuart, I want you and your brother to get everything. But he didn't write nothing down. You see all that good thought of all that good money and all that good stuff, that inheritance that I thought might be a great opportunity ended up being nothing. Nothing for me. It's okay. Because I know this, my inheritance that is offered through Christ, it will not perish. It's a crucified Christ placed in the tomb which activates this covenant, but a resurrected Christ that confirms our security. Listen, you could lose everything in this world and it wouldn't matter because one day all that stuff will be gone anyways. But inheritance of eternal life, now that is something worthy of waiting for, worthy of dying for, surely worthy of being thankful for as Christians. You see, we can get so wrapped up in all of these material things of the world. We can get wrapped up in all of this temporal stuff. And lose sight of the eternal value that we have in Jesus Christ. Internal inheritance. And that's why Paul says to, to live is for Christ and to die is gain. Because he knew that, that, that this glorious inheritance was waiting on him. Peter said that this inheritance was four things I want us to notice. He says first that it was imperishable. All of our earthly inheritances are all perishable. All of them are perishable. Now, they're transferable if they're available. But if you're like me and you just look around over the last 10 years, how many people have lost a grand inheritance? Remember when that beautiful economy that was so great that we just were so blessed by and all of a sudden, crash. The reality was as many lost a grand inheritance. But you know what I was encouraged by? I, I, I was encouraged by this. I watched godly people lose everything. But I watched them joy stay secure because their inheritance that they were focusing on wasn't the material, but the eternal. Not the temporal, the eternal. Listen, the, the stuff in this world, and it, it's going away. And it's okay. Because we can be thankful for that inheritance which he says is imperishable. This one, baby, is imperishable. 
It's not subject to death. It's not subject to destruction. It's not subject to a downturn in the economy. It is secure. And the question that we have to ask ourselves, that we have to really struggle with, is are we trusting in this secure inheritance in which Christ offers us? Are we trusting in perishable inheritance? He says not only was it imperishable, but it's undefiled. Revelation 21, 27 says it will never be spoiled. You know, just leave a little food out on the table. It might be good when you cook it, but leave it out a little while. It's going to spoil. It's undefiled. It will never spoil. It will never be corrupted or polluted. It will remain. But on this earth, everything we have will become like those things, spoiled, corrupt, and polluted, given enough time. It's temporal and it will burn, but eternal things will remain forever, and that is our living hope. It's undefiled. He says also it's unfading. Listen, you may come today and you may be one beautiful woman or man, but one day your beauty will fade. Your genes will be worn out. Your car will become faded in color and in style. And the greatest of greats will all fade away. I mean, as we watch Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists ever known in our culture, goes on to be with the Lord. We're all going there. Either he's coming here or we're going there. It makes no difference. The question is, which side of line you're on? This is unfading. Jesus Christ and what he offers is unfading. What inheritance are you longing for? You know, we, we had a work day yesterday here at the church and, you know, grateful for those that were able to come out. Thank you uh, for your help. It was a blessing. But it was interesting because, you know, after a long day, about eight and a half hours, we were standing outside and we were talking, uh, you know, um, about storing up treasures in heaven. And how, you know, it is a good eight hours worth of work in which we can store treasures in heaven. Again, nobody got paid, you know what I mean? Like nobody got money for what happened yesterday. But that's okay. If we think about it, it's an eternal investment into something an inheritance that's secure. Everyone here this morning will receive an inheritance. And both will live forever. Some in heaven and some in hell. And some will say, well, I'll party down there. Well, I want you to know you'll be the barbecue and it won't be good. And we laugh about it, but it's really not funny. And when we try to make light of it, don't we? I mean, but don't we all have loved ones who don't know Jesus? We're going to receive an inheritance eternally separated from God. Every second 
will be complete torment for those that depart this earth without faith in Jesus Christ. It's a narrow message. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And narrow. There's more going down than there's going up. But for those that believe in Jesus Christ, in his resurrection, those will receive, it says, an inheritance and will no longer suffer. It's, it, it will be unfading. Revelation 21, 4 says, God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, nor crying, nor will there be any more pain. For the first things have passed away. Choose today what inheritance you will wish to have. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you can't have an inheritance in this physical world. Okay, God blesses people with finances and they can leave inheritances to their children. But my point is, is this. Those things are fading. They can go away. But what Christ gives us is unfading. It's everlasting. And the only way that you can receive that is to believe only in Christ and his death and his burial and the resurrection. The gospel. Then and only then will you receive this promised inheritance that is secure forever. Don't be like me, placing my security in something that was failing, like, you know, the 401 fading, perishing, whatever you want to call it, money. It wasn't there. But I trusted in it. But God came through anyways provided our inheritance in Christ is unfading but also it says that it was reserved 2 Timothy 4.8 says in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only me but also to those that loved his appearing this place is set aside for you and for me John 14 says, if I go away and I will come in again and receive you to myself, that where I'm there you may be also. Look, live like you have a place prepared. As Christians, we get so temporal in our thinking. We get so, I'm guilty. I get so wrapped up in my own little Guthrie world that I, I get focused on what I want to accomplish and sometimes I put my blinders on and forget all that God wants to accomplish and do through me, not for my glory, but for His glory. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in this world when it's all temporal. And so how can we as Christians be more defined in making sure that we are reminded that the inheritance in which God wants to give us is something that is reserved for you and for me? Let us live life knowing that we can receive this reward of this inheritance that is through Christ whom we can serve and do this. 
Listen, if your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, you have prepared for you a place. And for that, you can give thanks to know that even though life is uncertain, I mean, nobody's here this morning thinking that this could be my last day on the earth. This could be the last day in which I have with my children, with my wife, with my family, with my church people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yesterday could have been the last day that I could have ever served the body of Christ. We don't think like that. We think that we live for eternity. But boy, if we thought that way, wouldn't we respond differently to brothers and sisters, to those in need? Today may be the last day that we ever have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's reserved. And for that, you and I can be extremely thankful. And we can give thanks to God because he is so gracious and he's so merciful. In light of anything that happens on this earth that you may consider evil, God has a wonderful plan set. He has a plan set apart for those that believe and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm certain those children that went there into that school, 17 of them stepped into eternity. No one ever thought that morning would take place. But 17 kids lost their lives. And they stepped into eternity. And so the question is this. Are we going to live our lives without thinking about our inheritance and whether we have a true, genuine trust in Jesus Christ? And if we do, boy, it's okay to step into eternity. Can you imagine Billy Graham right now with the Lord Jesus Christ? How joyful it is. Man. Listen, we must be thankful. We are to give thanks for the living hope. We are to give thanks for the secure inheritance that we have that comes with knowing Jesus Christ. And finally, thirdly, we are thankful for a protected salvation. I don't know about you, but I need this. I need this reminder that my salvation is protected by the one who purchased it with his blood. Because the reality is, is I'm a mess sometimes. I mess up, I do things I ought not to do, I, I, uh, I sin. But I'm sure we could all raise our hands and say we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, we have a protected salvation. You know, the older I get, the bigger my kids get, the more I realize how short life really is. My failures always seem to come. And prayerfully with a repentant heart, I ask God for forgiveness. Then my joy be made full again. And the process continues over and over and over. And God begins to sanctify me and to make me more and more into the image of his son. Until one day I stand with him and receive my glorified body. 
But while we're here, because this is where we live, right? We live in the process of sanctification. We live in this world where struggles are real. Where we see things we ought not see. Where we hear things we ought not hear. Where we do things we ought not do. Where we're tempted to, to, to steal, to kill, and to lie, and to destroy. But I'm reminded of this passage that it tells us our salvation is protected. 1 Peter 1.5 says, We who are protected by the power of God through faith for his salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, my kids love me and they trust me and they know that I'm their protector. Or at least I pray they understand that. And I hope you young people here as you look at your parents you also understand that your parents love you and that they are your protectors. But the greatest protection that I can offer my kids and my wife are but temporal. They're temporary. But God's not limited. You could say... Because God is all-powerful, we are kept safe. But the question is how? By faith. This is another element of, of your remaining safe, is the fact that God is sovereign. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man, we see it again. We are protected by God's power through faith. What is faith? Well, faith is simple, right? Faith is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Look, you and I hope for Christ. And we are convinced even though we haven't seen with our eyes. I've never seen Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I've never even heard Jesus Christ audibly. But I trust with all of my being, all of my life, that Jesus Christ is who he's claimed to be because we have the proven truth of his scriptures. And that relationship is an amazing process. Our faith is in Christ, whom we have hope for. And this internal inheritance and protected salvation comes by faith. Faith is how you and I are saved today. It's how we are to preach others to know Christ by faith. It's how they were saved in the Old Testament is how we are saved even today by faith in Jesus Christ. Now the question again we have to ask ourselves is do we have a faith that saves? This morning as I look across the room, I know most of you are all believers, right? I know most of you have faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. It's great to have a church full of Bible-believing Christians. But shall I not shy away because there may be one that doesn't know Jesus Christ. There may be one that has never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, they may be living in your home. They may be under your parental guidance. And yet they've never owned their own faith. And they've never personally trusted in Jesus Christ. Listen, it's by faith that we're saved. 
maybe they're watching live on Facebook this morning. They've never trusted in Jesus Christ. Or maybe they're watching via television, Walterboro. And they've never trusted in Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait till tomorrow because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. It's not by your works, it's by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 2, 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, faith in something you do is not true faith at all. But faith in something you can accomplish, simply trusting in Christ's ability, now that's faith. That's a faith that can save. What is your faith in today? Is your faith in your own ability, your own works, your own efforts? A faith that saves is by faith alone, but a saving faith is never alone. Our salvation, listen, is protected by the creator of the universe. But we first have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have this security, then how much do we truly have to be thankful for as we come into the house of God today? Boy, we have so much to celebrate as Christians We have so much hope. Listen, you can't hire another that will protect you like he will. It will be revealed in the last time. Those that trust, it says those that are protected. Listen, as a young child, I didn't listen to my father's instructions very well. He's not here today, so I can say that. Um, It resulted in Cut fingers, broken hearts, acts of sin, acts of like the prodigal son, you know, rebellion. Um, But now that I've heard the message, the hope of Jesus Christ, I don't plan on making the same mistakes twice. Now when my Heavenly Father speaks to me through His Word... I try and I listen and I heed his warnings, his instructions, his promises I hold tight to. And today, Peter wants us to understand we can be thankful in all things. Our faith is protected. Our salvation is protected by our Heavenly Father. And it can't be removed if we placed our trust into him. Don't struggle in your spirit to know, well, I, I did something wrong and therefore I, I think I, I don't know if I'm truly saved. Listen, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you did now listen, I'm not talking about just saying, well, I came forward and I, I prayed a prayer, right? We've all seen that. Well, I've prayed the prayer, I've walked the aisle, and then I go out and I live like a, a ba- baboon, a buffoon. And I do all things that are contrary to God. No, listen, the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. Now, I'm not a fruit inspector, right? God's the fruit inspector. But I can tell you what, if you've been in, impacted, if you've, tr- if you've had an encounter with the living God, there will be a change in your life. 
And if there is no change and you haven't began to hate sin and you don't begin to struggle with your sin, then you better question really if you've truly been born again, if God has truly given you a regenerate heart. Because when he comes in, there's no mistake. I didn't say life was going to get easier. You're going to be perfect. But there's no mistake. Conviction follows. Conviction follows. Our faith, if we have a true faith, is protected by our Heavenly Father. It's not because I didn't, listen, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I, I didn't obtain it. I didn't sustain it. Because the real, reality is, is this, is that the Father, He thought it. Okay? The Son taught it, the Spirit, and the Son bought it. That's why we can be saved. Salvation is protected because you and I had nothing to do with it. Are you trusting in something else other than the grace of God, faith in Jesus Christ? Then you're living upon a works-based salvation. And when you stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he may say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. Listen, they were casting out demons. You ever casted out a demon? You ever did miracles? These people thought they knew because of what they had done. But when they had got there, they realized that they weren't what they thought they were. And it was too late. But I want you to understand the Bible teaches you can have a secure hope that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ alone. It's not by your works, but by your faith in him who did the work. He saved us not upon the basics of our deeds, but rather his righteousness. According to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And we already said that he who believes has eternal life, and that's immediate. Many will say that this or that is a part of the salvation, and they will be good people outwardly but inwardly they are wolves in sheep clothing. And we have to be aware of those. Listen, the, the cults, the, the Mormons, Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're some of the nicest people I know. They're good people. On the outside, what they teach is not biblical. And they will send the nicest of people to an eternity separated from God because salvation is never and will never be based upon how nice you are or what you've done but rather the sacrifice that the son has made on the cross at Calvary the son left the domains of heaven and came and took on the form of a man and lived a perfect life and bore our sin on that cross and was buried and was raised again on the third day and ascended up to the right hand of the Father. Listen, Galatians 2.21 says, I do, not, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if, if, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no reason for Christ to die. That shoots your work-based salvation right out the window. Because isn't that true? If we could just do enough, Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. We just need to do good enough. Listen, we should be thankful that we don't save ourselves lest we have to maintain it. We should be grateful 
and encouraged in the work that Jesus Christ did because we have a living hope. We have a secure inheritance and we have a protected salvation. What more could we ask for? What more could we come with attitudes of thanksgiving this morning as believers? Let that sink in for just a minute. As sinful as we can be on the inside, shouldn't we know what's owed our lives? But because of Jesus Christ, you and I can give thanks and we can drink from the saucer because our cup has overflowed with thanksgiving. His grace is sufficient this morning. And his love is unfailing. And for that we can give thanks. Let's pray.